Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's chat on the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network. This is Josh with me tonight, as always, is Luca. Luca, what do we do with this game? Uh, we have a lot to discuss, Josh. We have a lot to discuss. You know, wow, love that you didn't ask how I'm doing here. But, yeah, uh, couldn't do it because <laughs> I think the answer is quite obvious, you know, and I'm sure others that are listening to this share the feelings being felt at this point in time. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't think I need to talk much here or anything like that. I think we need to jump right into it because, uh, yeah, there's a lot to discuss. Will there ever be a point in our lives where we can look back on this game and enjoy it for the chaotic masterpiece that it was? for everybody that wasn't emotionally invested or I guess for Vikings fans who got the W or is it a situation where the bills have to win the super bowl this year for us to ever be able to enjoy it? This would have to be you. We have, this has to be the turning point view of this game, right? This has to be the game that can be used as a, this is when things turned around. Um, I'll even go that far. Cause I'm not even saying they have to win the super bowl. The hope is that that would be what, re- this would be what propels them to that point. And yes, because otherwise, no, I don't think this can be, wow, that was a chaotic game and it was fun to watch or anything. Cause I mean, the bottom of the line is it wasn't, it wasn't fun to watch. It was, uh, it was leg shakingly nervous the entire time and just disbelief at the ending. That was what it was. And just no, there's, there's no enjoyment in this game. Unfortunately, it's going to be one of those ones that it can only be viewed positively if it can become the turning point of the season. That's pretty much it. That's true. Yeah. Like if it becomes the footnote in their championship season or in their impressive playoff run season that for whatever reason doesn't end in a championship, but we're all content with, it's hard to see what that would be. Um, then yeah, I guess we could look back on this and kind of laugh. So similar maybe to the Hale Murray where the bills lost that game and then ripped off a bunch of wins after and ended up getting the two seed. I don't think anybody's looking back on the Hale Murray and laughing, but you get the point. All right, enough stalling. We have to get to it. We don't want to get to it, but we'll get to it. Luca, after every game, I ask you how you were feeling when the game ended. And I feel like that question has a chance to be a little redundant tonight. I, I don't know, but I still I want to I want to ask it because there's a lot of ways your mind can go. So I am curious what was going through your mind when this game ended. Ah. <sighs> A lot. There was a lot going around in my mind. It was um, disbelief in the fashion of which we lost this game. It was frustration in just everything that transpired from halftime on. It was just so much. I mean, the initial thing that came to mind is how many times did we truly lose this game? Because this is a game that I know others can agree. It didn't feel like we just lost this game once. It felt like this. we lost this game over and over and over game. And just when you thought you're at 99 plus percent to win this game, something happened and probably, and not even probably, the Bills did something to ultimately put us in a position to lose the game following that point in time. And it just, it, it's, it's crazy. Like it's, it was, um, it was a game that really had you sitting there collecting your thoughts and really trying to think about what is this team? Like, what is this team? Because the expectations that everyone had, you and I included in this, were so high going into the season and even very high still going into this game that 
the result almost almost put us in a or at least put myself in a spot where I really think a reevaluation potentially of where I think they stand or where this team can go the way it's currently playing needs to be had like something something needs to be reevaluated and hopefully if I were to reevaluate or bring down expectations or do whatever you're thinking from this, um, they would be able to turn around and then eventually get back to a level that brings us to where I thought they should have been in the first place. Right. That's the hope. But there was a lot of self-reflection in what I think this team is and what they can be uh, moving forward, because that was just I said last week was a disappointing game right against the Jets. I said it was a disappointing loss. This disappointing doesn't fit this game only because it was such a chaotic game which by the way there was someone in my living room just saying the theme of the day walked into my house at 11 o'clock and said the theme of their day has been the word chaotic boy did that foreshadow what was coming hours later and it fit like a glove but it was just such a chaotic game that i it was just mind numbing where my head was and i just didn't know what to think and where to go from here and disappointment wasn't what came to my mind it was just a sad understanding of i don't know anything anymore i don't know where this team is going i don't understand what the ceiling is for this team anymore because what we never thought would happen in a way to lose a game basically happened all all of it in one game it was just wild So I think perspective is going to be important tonight, but also tough to get a grasp of because I'm with you, Luca. I I try to pride myself in being level-headed, understanding that it's hard to really get a true definition of a team in any individual game because there is so much randomness that can take place in one football game. That is what makes the Super Bowl so hard to win. It's a one-and-done scenario where even if you're clearly the better team, in a one and done playoff game, you can have fumbles, you can have interceptions, you can have balls that should be knocked down on fourth and 18 that end up going for a completion that extends the game. And in a lot of ways, I think the perspective needs to be look at all the things that had to go wrong for the Bills to lose this game. And maybe if you want to take a positive spin on that, that's the way to look at it. <clears throat> but the fact of the matter is the Bills came into today the number one seed in the AFC and leading the AFC East. As we sit here recording tonight with the San Francisco 49ers and the LA Chargers still in action, we don't have a winner for that game yet, the Bills are third place in the AFC East and sixth place in the AFC overall. So lessons are cool. Um, Perspective is cool. Reality stinks right now because when this team left Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City 5-1, and looking like the the league was in their hands and this team was as good as we thought they were going to be all off season. And then they start rolling the Packers to the first two quarters on Sunday night football. Something happened at halftime. They came out in the second half flat against the Packers. It carried over into the jets game where it was just mistake after mistake after mistake. And then today against the Vikings, they come out super strong against the Vikings, get a 27 to 10 lead. I am prepared to come on this podcast with you, Luca, and say, for one, the Vikings confirmed what I thought about them. They they were a paper tiger. They weren't as good as their record showed. Uh, they 
they feasted on a lot of mediocre teams, backup quarterbacks, and they won a lot of close games. And then the Bills just made mistake after mistake after mistake. Now, look, this is a Bills podcast. This is a podcast from a Bills lens. So that's how we're looking at it. There is a lot of credit to go around to the Vikings. We are going to get into that, especially Justin Jefferson. We're not taking anything away from the Vikings, but we have to look at the plays that were made there to be made for the Bills that weren't very simple plays that cost them the game. And there's a laundry list of them, but I think we need to start this with, unfortunately, a Josh Allen conversation. And that was the theme I got on Twitter when I put out there, how are you feeling? And there was a lot of Josh Allen stinks. Josh Allen's not clutch. I don't know what's wrong with Josh Allen. And then the counterpoint is, how can you guys criticize Josh Allen? He, he Maybe he was playing hurt or he's still the best thing about our offense. I think one thing you have to say about any Josh Allen conversation is there's a huge gap between Josh Allen stinks and Josh Allen potentially cost us the game. So when I say Josh Allen potentially cost us the game, I am not saying the Bills would have won this game if Case Keenum started. There were multiple third and 15 conversions by Josh Allen through the air. He also ran for 84 yards today. He had two beautiful drives at the end of the first half and then the one at the end of the second half, which was just chef's kiss beautiful to get the Bills into overtime. I'm very confident that the Bills probably wouldn't have been in position to win the game if Josh Allen wasn't on their side. Putting all of that to the side, understanding that we are still very lucky to have Josh Allen as our quarterback and we all feel very grateful that he's on our side, you can't ignore the fact, Luca, that there have been mind-boggling interceptions these last couple of weeks and a couple more today where you're just wondering, what is he looking at? What's he throwing at? Because when you go back and watch the replay, it's like the play isn't even there to be made. Yeah, the the last interception, especially today, is one that I know fits the description of what you just said perfectly. Um, it's now three straight games with two interceptions or more for Josh Allen. I believe it's two interceptions, but that's just the stack getting thrown around a lot right now. Um, and I'm trying to think right now, going back to the Packers game, there's the red zone interception that happened at my end of when I was there. Um, I can't think of the second one for whatever reason. So the red zone one, though, is definitely on him. It's a questionable call or a questionable throw. There is the one that he throws against the Jets that just was mind boggling as well. When it comes to Josh Allen, the other one, I'm pretty sure it's safe to assume that he had no idea Sauce Gardner was there behind the 340 pound defensive tackle that was in his face. Um, still probably not a throw you should have, but he probably saw something there, but he didn't realize, you know, Sauce was sitting right in that spot. And then today, the first interception he threw where Patrick Peterson kind of came back against the flow and takes it in the situation like going for it on fourth down first and foremost is the right move in that decision. Josh is then doing what we know Josh Allen loves to do and extend a play and try to create something. And he's believed to have seen a window to uh, Knox that we have seen him put it in the window of. And Peterson, at the point of which he is pulling the trigger, is kind of going with the flow. It's just a veteran in Patrick Peterson understood where he was in the end zone and knew coming back, especially as he sees a quarterback starting to cock his arm. There's nothing to be had past the sideline of, you know, the boundary of the end zone. Come back. Maybe you can make a play on the ball. He just turns out to intercept it rather than just bat it down or whatever else may have happened. That's a good play by a veteran corner that is Patrick Peterson. It's still not the greatest of throws, but again, it's one that you just go tip a cap a little bit to Patrick Peterson. 
good play on the ball. Way to know where you are. The last throw of the game, however, is one that I think 99% of people out there can go, what the hell is he looking at? Why did he decide to throw that ball? But then also there's a little bit of a conversation in there to begin with of why was this the play he was given to then run at that point in time as well. We don't need to have a conversation about that point right there yet. I'm sure we will later on in the show. But yes, this pattern that has developed now with Josh Allen of just I, it's it's um it's rookie Josh Allen bleeding back in or just questionable decision making Josh Allen just sitting there. And it's like he just drove you down the field to get you back in a field goal range with 30 something seconds left. And now we're in overtime. And now he's driving you back down the field once again in overtime to hopefully set up a game winner. And then just it was gone. Like, this is actually kind of what goes into what you first asked me on this podcast. Where were, you know, when the game ended, where was I mentally or whatever? And it's like, what just transpired and how we got to that point only for it to just dissipate and completely go away due to the throw that Josh Allen, the one player that I want the ball in with the game on the line, I, I want him in that situation. I want him there. And he does that and throws that. And um, it, it just, I don't understand it. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on between the ears of Josh Allen because there's clearly something there. I mean, when you see Josh Allen like kind of rip his helmet off, uh, there was an interesting moment too that the cameras caught that it looked like Josh Allen was looking for a handshake, whether it was for Kirk Cousins, a coach, whatever it might be. It looked like he was looking down the field to see what was going on for a possible handshake. Probably there was a lot of, you know, joy and excitement and celebration going on the Viking sideline, and he dismissed it super quick and made his way towards the tunnel. I don't think he had a handshake. I don't quote me on that because, again, I don't I, you know, I'm not at the stadium and I'm not on the field. I don't I didn't see. I'm just only going off of what it looked like on television. But he almost like looked for a quick second, doesn't see Kirk Cousins. Kirk is probably celebrating with his team. It was an exciting win for them and in a very you know dramatic fashion. Um, and he's just like, F it. I'm I'm done with this and then rips off proceeds to rip off his helmet and throw it to the ground and that is the sign of an individual that is frustrated and confused and is just pissed off at themselves first and foremost like anything you and I say and anything any fan says right now I don't think Josh Allen would sit here and tell you that he thinks you're wrong or unjustified to feel I think the number one critic right now of Josh Allen is Josh Allen but in a way, I don't want my quarterback. I want him to take ownership for being, you know, poor in his play and, you know, kind of costing the team. But on top of that, um, there's a man. I, I meant to make a note of this Twitter account. Shout out to this guy because it just popped up at the right time for me. He posted just a video clip from uh, an excellent show, Ted Lasso, where uh, Ted Lasso tells his player, do you know what the best you know animal is out in the kingdom? And he said a goldfish because they have a 10 second memory, be a goldfish. And I think that's an important thing that maybe Josh Allen, like Josh Allen needs to not get so caught up in his head, I feel like, and he needs to just be able to move on that he was, he lets these disappointing performances stack one after the next. And that's why I feel like you keep seeing this trend of him just throwing questionable, this questionable balls that I just, I feel like if he was a clear-headed mind, if he was just fine, like we talked about Miami, he, the heat was getting to him and he was hot and bothered and it's, it affected his play because his just head is not in the right space. When he's not in the right headspace, that's when we see rookie Josh Allen. That's when we see the questionable decision-making. That's when we see these throws that you just go, why in the world are you doing that? 
And I just don't think he's clean between the ears kind of deal. I, I think there's just a lot going on in his brain that he just doesn't know, you know, how to get from point A to point B in the best way possible, because a lot of people are going to talk about it, right? That the check down on that last throw was there. Singletary seems to have five to seven yards in front of him with ease if Allen were to see it. But as you pointed out uh, off air, he's already got that ball cocked by the time Singletary is even getting into the open space. Like the release of the ball is there when Singletary is finally looking around. Like Singletary had to work through the blocking to kind of give him that check down last second look if he wanted it. Everyone else is down the field and Josh was just saying, F it, I'm throwing it to Gabe Davis. And unfortunately, that play was never there from the beginning. And it's just, I don't know. There's there's a lot with Josh Allen right now that I'm not sitting here saying that I hate Josh Allen. I'm with you a thousand percent. I am so blessed to have Josh Allen. I just think there is something there that needs to be done with Josh when it comes to the psych of the game, the, the psychology of the game or something to clear up his headspace and get him in the right mindset moving forward because there is something going on where we're seeing a pattern of questionable decisions being made over and over and over, and it's costing this football team games. And Josh Allen is the one guy, of course, that we cannot have be that problem and be the reason we are losing time after time after time. Because if our best offensive player, if our best player overall is the reason we're losing games, I, when if everyone else played somewhat well, ha, everyone had problems too, of course, but you know, we'll even discuss like the secondary weapons were there. There were other things happening and it just turned out that Josh Allen couldn't make it happen. The games when those secondary weapons don't show up and then your best player is not you know, in the right spot, that's when real problems happen, and we don't want to see that. So you said a lot there, and I, we do want to continue this Josh Allen conversation about whether this game was his fault, what to do with it. But I do want to circle back to a couple points you made because I do think some folks listening might uh, want to challenge you on one thing you said there. Um, real quick, the handshake situation, you were spot on. That's exactly what happened. The Vikings were celebrating. Allen understands that. Like there's a there's a famous clip after the Patriots. Packers Super Bowl in like 1996 where Mike Holmgren is getting carried off the field and Bill Parcells is like giving him the hand like it's okay it's okay you don't have to shake my hand and Holmgren's like no 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 and he, he's gonna do it like Allen was it's actually kind of a class move by Allen he kind of put his hand up to Kirk like hey it's okay celebrate with your teammates I get it dude and like don't worry about like getting out of there to come shake my hand we're fine so I, that was nothing about like Tom Brady running off the field um the field goal the pass up the field goal. That was a theme on Twitter. And I, I think we do need to hash that out real quick before we lose sight of that, because when the bills pass up on points on fourth and two, three points, and then they ultimately lose the game by three points. It's very easy to play hindsight and say, if they would have just taken their points that um, they would have either had a chance to tie or win the game. And that could be considered factually true. Just if you look at it very basically through the math of it. But to Luca's point, and I am aligned with you, Luca, going forward on fourth down is the move there. So the situation there is the Bills are fourth and goal at the Minnesota seven, and it's fourth, or not fourth and goal, excuse me, fourth and two at the Minnesota seven, and they're up by 10. So a field goal in that situation puts them up by 13, but it's still a two possession game. If the Bills get the touchdown there, they're up by three possessions. And at that point, the game is too far away for the Vikings to be able to come back. The other side of it, and I want you to think back to the end of the Baltimore game against the Bills. If the Bills don't get the first down there and they fail, 
they're thinking to themselves, the Vikings are going to still be down by two scores and they're going to take over on their own seven. So they essentially have to go 93 yards to get a touchdown. What you're not banking on there, which is what the, the Ravens weren't banking on against the Bills on fourth and one, is Lamar Jackson threw an interception to Jordan Poyer and all of a sudden, instead of having the Bills start on the one yard line, the Bills are starting on the 20. Josh Allen throws an interception to Patrick Peterson there. And instead of the Vikings taking over on their own seven, he returned it to the 39, I'm sorry, I have it right here, 39 yard line. No, to the 34 yard line. Excuse me. It's a 39 yard interception return because he was five yards deep in the end zone. So 34 yard line. So essentially they gained quick math here, 27 yards of field position by that return by Patrick Peterson. And now they're at midfield essentially, and they're in business. Um, I don't necessarily fault Josh Allen for that pick because it's fourth down and throwing it away there while mathematically it's like, hey, there's nothing there. There was no running lane that was cut off for him. While mathematically it's like, hey, if you throw it away, they start at the seven. I understand his thought process of I'm going to give my guy a chance to catch it. Just give Patrick Peterson credit there. Give him credit for having the awareness to run it out too. That's a bad sequence, but I think... To your point, Luca, I think the Bills were right to go for it there because 10 versus 13, not that big of a difference when you're looking at a two-score game. If they can extend it to 17 there, the game's pretty much over, and it was only two yards, and with Josh Allen as your quarterback, you take your chances every time. Yeah, the the discussion is just, I, I don't understand the hindsight captains, we'll call them, where they come in and it's just like, you want the field goal there, we should be taking the points. As you just pointed out, a 13-point game basically changes nothing. The Vikings look at that between 13 and 10 points. It's a two-score game. They understand. Yes, all of a sudden, one time, they may need a field goal, but it doesn't matter in the context. It's two scores, right? So they're just going to have to operate two scores. Maybe they play in a different way if it's only 10 points or you know, rather than 13 points. Sure, because now it's two touchdowns rather than a touchdown and a field goal, potentially. Two scores are two scores. You go for it. You take your chances. Josh, you have this weapon in Josh Allen who has been looking great up until that point. Elbow does not appear to be a problem all game and things like that. He's running. He's confident in everything that he's doing. And it's two yards. It's two yards that at worst, you know, you don't get. And as you pointed out, they're on their own seven. And now they have to drive essentially the length of the field to get within a score. So you just do it like that's the play there. That's I don't understand anyone that thinks otherwise. I I get hindsight and I get everything about points and like how, oh, in this tight field goal game, that three points would have been huge. Who knows the context of the game if we would have taken that field goal and if anything would have changed? Like, yes, maybe that drive to end would have turned into a game winner. Maybe. I no one knows you have no idea what would have happened at that point on. And honestly, nothing could have changed too. like, who knows? It's a ridiculous point for someone to sit here and just be a hindsight captain and say, the players always take the points. You always take the points. It's like, no, that's just not how it works. You go for that fourth down. You go for the throat. Everyone loved this team four weeks ago, five weeks ago, because they were aggressive and they always go for the throat and you want to establish yourself as a dominant force. That's a play you make when you believe you are the dominant force. It just didn't pan out. That's why it's known as a risk. It's just facts, people. It's just facts. I think my most uh, hindsight looking back on that sequence is not about going for it. 
it's more about this team continues to have success as an overall team. They didn't win today, despite not having really any semblance of a traditional running game. And in that scenario, it's not the fourth and two that bothers me. It was second and two, second and two, incomplete pass, third and two, incomplete pass, fourth and two, interception. If they had any traditional running game, a run play there on second and two would have been exactly what the doctor ordered. But it's almost like on a day where there's snow falling down, the ball is slick. It's a slick field. You can say what you want to about the fact that their quarterback might not be 100%. None of us know. But all of that factored in, and they don't feel comfortable on second and two turning around and handing the ball off one time. I understand we all love Josh Allen. I understand we all think the ball has a better chance of getting into the end zone when it's in his hands. And what I'm saying here might be hindsight. And truthfully, if they complete a pass on second and two for a touchdown, I'm not even mentioning this, but it is noteworthy to me that on second and two, third and two, and then on fourth and two, they never felt confident enough to turn around and hand it off. That element has been missing from their offense for a while. Um, It came up again at the very end of the game when they had to try to quarterback sneak it out of the end zone. We'll get into that. Um, There's just no confidence when turning it around that they're not going to get pushed backwards. But back to the larger point about Josh Allen, because you mentioned rookie year, Josh Allen. I would push back a little bit on that because to me, rookie year, Josh Allen was more about not only making bad decisions, but his accuracy was off. What I'm not seeing here with Josh Allen is inaccurate passes. Now, he did have the one against the Dolphins where he missed McKenzie in the end zone at the end of the game. That was very unfortunate. It's just the decisions, Luca. I don't understand what he's looking for. And again, it's we love the fact that Josh Allen is aggressive and his self-confidence is through the roof and he feels like he can make any play that's there. And we don't want that coached out of him. Believe me, folks, we don't want that coached out of him. If you're old enough like me to remember all the quarterbacks through the drought, you can remember countless examples, Trent Edwards quarterbacks who were just afraid to make plays even when the game was on the line. It would be fourth and 10. They'd check it down to a running back. So the fact that Josh Allen is not afraid to go for it, I'd much rather be dealing with a situation where a guy is too aggressive and you got to reel him back in a little bit. But still, on that situation, I know you mentioned it before, but I would like to see Dorsey give him more options then one Devin Singletary who's chipping on that play to keep Josh Allen clean because Spencer Brown was struggling and there were two linebackers there. I know there's a clip that Luke Russert put out that why don't you dump it down to Singletary? There was two linebackers there by the Vikings that were just going to smash him if he catches the ball. Sure. <laughs> five yard pass to Devin Singletary, much better than interception to end the game to Patrick Peterson. We all agree. But I think at this point, I'm I'm wondering about Dorsey too, Luca, because We all agreed Allen has to play better, and I don't know what the answer is there. It seems like maybe there's something in his in his mind right now he's fighting with. Maybe we can put the Dorsey thing on hold for a second. I want I want to give you a chance to just kind of clean up this conversation on Allen. Is this something that you're concerned about going forward? Do you think he's just in a little bit of a rut? What are you doing right now with Josh Allen? And maybe absent of any potential injury situation, we can talk about later. Where are you at with Josh Allen, and how how confident are you? that um, he can get us to where we need to go. Yeah, I just want to first and foremost say, like when I say rookie year Josh Allen, I am talking about the decision-making only. I'm not saying this is, you know, broken mechanics, doesn't really look like he knows how to throw a ball comfortably and confidently, Josh Allen. It's just the decision-making. You said that spot on. I'm not trying to say he's regressed to that point. I don't believe that to be the case. Where I'm at with Josh Allen in this offense, though, is 
I do think like I am a firm believer in psychology and just, you know, you can read a person. I make a living reading people and, and like, I'm not bragging about this or anything. I'm just saying it pays to pick up, you know, mannerism and how people react and just things like that. Because you can at least, if you can understand someone else's, you know, mindset and where they are at mentally, it's easier for both you and them to be productive. That's just the nature of everything, right? And every time you look at Josh Allen right now, it seems like there is just something wrong in between the ears. There is something going on just, and I don't think it's anything, you know, big life picture and stuff like that. I'm not, of course, insinuating that. I just think the decision-making and everything you see in his mannerisms and stuff. I mean, think about it. The, um, the first Patrick Peterson interception, I don't know why I say first, because obviously second is the game winner or game sealer, whatever you want to call it. But the first one, he makes the tackle and everyone starts, you know, holding their breath because it looks like Josh Allen might be down. It turns out that he's just so upset with himself and everything that he laid there flat on the ground. Maybe he tweaked something as well in the process of tackling Patrick Peterson, you know, and he just stayed down to get attention, whatever. But I'm pretty sure majority of it was just him being so disappointed in himself that he just couldn't believe it and he was getting frustrated. And that is not the first time we've seen a frustrated Josh Allen. And it seems like right now we've been seeing it week in, week out, whether it was you know near the end of the Packers game where he's not happy with himself, even in a win, or last week when he said he played like crap and he can't play like crap. And then yet again, he had a very rough game and first things out of his mouth is just basically saying how he cost the game and he played like crap. And it's, it's good to self-acknowledge it, but at the same time, I don't need my quarterback being so tough on himself that he then thinks he needs to one-up himself or get himself out of that by doing something on the field. It's like, just forget about it, man. Be a goldfish. Move on. Be the Josh Allen we know you are the next time you get on the field. Like, stuff happens, man. Tom Brady in all those years was not perfect. Peyton Manning in all those years was not perfect. We don't need you to always be perfect. It would be great if you are. But look, sometimes people just have off games. I don't want to see you. I don't think anyone needs to see you just so rough on yourself to the point where it seems like it's affecting your play on the field and what you're seeing because it's just going to compile and get bigger and become more problematic to the point of costing this team win after win after win. That's the problem. I will also agree with you, though. I think Dorsey is almost compounding the issue and creating problems for him by not helping him out. He's not putting him in successful situations. I think the ironic part of it all, I will say, is the 34-second drive, whatever it was to get the game-tying field goal to go into overtime, I thought the play design and just telling him to essentially, hey, you're going to have knocks out here on your right. You're going to have a knocks, just fail safe. It's like, it's probably a one read, find your fail safe. One read, find your fail safe. And it was perfect because of course the Vikings are trying to take away the overtop. You don't want to let them get down the field too quick, but the design was well enough that you did have these chunk plays still available underneath to get yourself into that position. And Allen was smart to understand it, know the game plan, know the situation and get us in that position. Then in overtime, he's driving us down the field. Things are working out. But then all of a sudden, Dorsey just, there's, you don't take two shots from the 20, first and 10, second and 10, unless that's basically being told to you to do it. Like that's the design. That's what he, that's what Dorsey wants him to do. And I'm not saying, you know, Allen can't just make his own decisions. I'm just saying that's what he's, 
you're only as good as what you're given, right? And this is what was called and this is what you're given. And he's just trying to make the best out of it. And unfortunately, it's a pretty shit plate that he was given. And I, it's just all of that collectively has created this storm that is problematic Josh Allen mentally that I think Dorsey needs to do a better job getting him out of this headspace, needs to do a better job making him comfortable. In a weird way, he almost needs to maybe think about at times pulling it back a touch putting pulling Josh Allen out of the superhero mode and maybe treating it as like, Hey, we know you're gifted and everything like that. We're going to have a, you know, couple number of plays this next coming drive where it, you know, case Keenum could run the offense while doing this, right. One read check downs, you know, a little bit more on the run, stuff like that, which I think by the way was happening in the first half. I feel like there was a kind of a shift in philosophy in a way where they were focusing on maybe making sure Josh Allen didn't need to do everything, every play, and all of a sudden that just went away. I don't know what Dorsey's trying to accomplish here late in the game, both this week and last week, because it just doesn't seem like it's putting Josh in any sort of position where he can make something happen in a way. It's just, it's mind boggling. There's an old football cliche that you won't go broke making a profit. And I don't necessarily agree with that cliche because I don't want my team to major in throwing three yard passes every down just to make a quote unquote profit. But it does feel like that Josh Allen could essentially check it down to Devin Singletary every single pass play, and they would get five or six yards every time. It's like the defense is okay giving that up, and they're daring Josh Allen to take it. And we'll see if the Bills can make that adjustment. One last thing about Josh Allen before we move on to the rest of this just absolutely wild game. It's important to understand the context of any conversation that's critical of Josh Allen. Because as a Bills fan... I think we're all a little sensitive to the fact of, well, you can't criticize Josh Allen. What are you saying? Should we cut him? Should we trade him? Should we try to get somebody else? Nobody's saying that. Josh Allen has graduated to a point of being one of, if not the best quarterback in the entire league. He's in the conversation compared to weekly with the likes of Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. If you think about it almost like a video game, like playing Super Mario, you have to go through the eight worlds to get to the final dragon. Like level one was rookie year. Can you like get in and out of the huddle? Can you call audibles? And, you know, that's maybe where if you're a fan and your quarterback, maybe Kenny Pickett's on level one right now. And, and Steelers fans are just trying to figure out, does this guy, is he showing us enough that we should give him a second year? Level twos, threes and fours. It's, you know, how is he progressing? How ha, has he taken enough of a jump? Can he be somebody to get us to the playoffs? Can he be somebody that can challenge for a Pro Bowl? That's not where we're at with Josh Allen. Josh Allen is having a completely different conversation. He's compared to the elites of the elite. So when we're criticizing Josh Allen, nobody in their right mind is suggesting the Bills need to look for another answer at quarterback. That would be silly. What we're suggesting is the conversation needs to be have is, had is there something going on right now where Josh Allen is struggling that's preventing him to play consistently at that elite high level that makes the Bills a Super Bowl championship team? And is this a trend that we have to be concerned about where he's still going to be an elite quarterback because that's where he's at, but then at the end of the game or in crunch time, he tries to do too much? Or maybe in the middle of the game when it feels like the Bills are in control, he has a careless turnover. There's a lot of Brett Favre stuff going on now with Josh Allen. If you remember Brett Favre, there would just be some careless turnovers in his career. So 
I think we have to be able to have a level-headed Josh Allen conversation without feeling like anybody's calling for the Bills to replace Josh Allen. No, nobody's doing that. Everybody is grateful that Josh Allen is our quarterback. Um, and and I still believe he can be the guy to get the Bills to where they need to go. One, one shaky game against Minnesota and a couple bad interceptions against the Jets is not going to move me off my spot. I've seen too much from him and too many scenarios, too many pull a, a play out of a fire and make it into a great play for Josh Allen to have me as a believer. But there, there's some, there's something going on right now. I don't know. I'm not a mental coach, but there's something going on where it feels like he's pressing a little bit and that's on Dorsey. That's on McDermott to figure out what's going on to get him back on track because the bills are now six and three and they're running out of mulligans. We got to move on to the rest of the team though, Luca, because there are a lot of hands in the cookie jar of mistakes today. Absent of the interceptions on offense, what one mistake is going to keep you tossing and turning on your pillow tonight as you try to go to bed, but you keep thinking about what could have been? Oh, it's, I mean, it's obvious, right? Has is it? I mean, look, there, yes. I mentioned how many times did we lose this game because it felt like there were so many times. Mm-hmm. But the one where it really all began, first and foremost, is Cam Lewis not swatting Justin Jefferson's hands. This is good because that's not the one I was thinking of. So this, this is, I'm oh, glad wow. this is going to be productive. Okay, this is, go for this it. This is the one that's going to kill me because, okay. and it's, it's one that I said to you off air, even it's like, is there a coaching problem with DBs? Like, is there just not a good understanding for our DBs in critical moments to understand, look, this is not the time to, <laughs> this is not the time to go for a pick. And I want to make sure it's also said when the ball is released, from Kirk Cousins' hands, and it's going up, and it kind of looks like a floater, essentially, right? He's really just, where's Justin Jefferson? Justin Jefferson has to be down there somewhere, right? Go find him. And he's just heaving it to his guy. And I mentioned it on our live show, Josh, the pregame show that we also do, uh, Built in Buffalo Live, that Justin Jefferson is a receiver that I believe to be the best in the NFL, best in the league. And... Essentially, what Kirk Cousins did is chuck it up to his guy, Justin Jefferson, but Cam Lewis is in great position, and I'm not going to fault a guy for feeling comfortable enough to go up and make a play on a ball that seemingly looks like he has far more advantage in getting. What I think is interesting, though, is this is not the first time, as I said, that the Bills DBs have found themselves in a situation where a ball is just being hucked up because the game is on the line and they're just trying to find their guy deep downfield. And somehow, some way we find ourselves watching these DBs try to play a ball in such a fashion that it allowed this elite receiver that is also in the vicinity of it, get possession of the ball. The reason I also worded that in the way it was is because again, Cam Lewis is the primary guy in position to get this ball. If you threw that ball up, 10 out of 10 times without Justin Jefferson, I would probably lean seven to three. Cam Lewis is coming down with that ball cleanly. That's probably what's happening. But it's not, you know, an average receiver. It's not Adam Thielen, right? It's not DeAndre Hopkins, which is another elite receiver in a vicinity that the Bills have had an unfortunate thing, which I can't believe this play has been brought up twice already in a podcast about the Vikings. But there's that one. And now here we are about Justin Jefferson. And it's the same thing. Like, just 
make a play on the ball that isn't you almost in a way assisting the elite receiver underneath you on getting it away from it. You know what elite receivers have really, really good? They have really strong hands. They have really good, strong hands. And what they're going to be able to do is fight you for that ball until the point that the play is over, because that's what they're really good at. Receivers love catching the balls and they love getting their hands on the balls. They're going to do anything they can if you help them even more so to make sure they're the guy getting that catch. And in a game on the line moment, man, I would love to see Cam Lewis just straight up try to time slapping Justin Jefferson's hands, understanding the severity of the moment and just being like, I don't need to make a play on the ball myself. I just need to make sure Justin Jefferson has no ability to make the play on the ball. If they, here's the thing. I say slap his hands. There is a possibility that the refs throw a flag to that, depending on how you time it, how you make it look, any of that stuff. I'm okay with that because at least you're trying to make the right play instead of trying to catch the ball for some reason. And guess what? Justin Jefferson gets his hand wedged in there just enough to kind of contort it and rip it away from you and make sure he's the guy coming down with it. It's just, you can't do it. Cam Lewis, like, I don't think Cam Lewis had a horrible game overall. I don't think it was exceptional either. It's also Cam Lewis. So I'm not going to sit here and criticize Cam Lewis for coming up against a very talented offensive team. But please just try not to do that, Cam. Like, you got to have it, man. Like, and it's not you got to have it and pick the ball off. You got to have it and just make a play when it seems like everything was given to you to make a play even at a player of your caliber. And I'm going to lose a lot of sleep tonight just thinking about how Cam Lewis could have easily just swatted Justin Jefferson's hands, put the decision in the ref's hand if they really wanted to call a PI or not, and then probably, by the way, I don't think the refs would if he timed it up at least somewhat right. Justin Jefferson probably doesn't come down with the ball, and we're sitting here having a much different conversation. Tough lesson to learn for Cam Lewis in his first start. And I can only imagine what's going through his head in that moment. Your first start as a safety in the NFL, the game is absolutely on the line and you're in a jump ball scenario with arguably the best wide receiver in the entire sport. But to Luca's point, fundamentally speaking, that ball was way more Cam Lewis's ball than Justin Jefferson's ball. And it's, it's really hard to understand. Like it's so much easier on your couch. You're sitting there, you're, you're wearing your sweatpants, you're, you have your beer in your hand, whatever you're drinking. And you're just watching on TV and you're thinking, knock it down. Maybe the ball's in the air and Cam Lewis forgets the situation. Maybe the ball's coming right to him and he's getting excited that he can make an interception. And in his mind, instant, quickly thinking, if I catch it, he doesn't catch it. The math adds up there. But Cam Lewis is in such a position with that ball that if he just knocks it down, there's no chance Justin Jefferson has a chance to catch it. Justin Jefferson was so far away from that ball, he could only stretch one arm up to even get it. And Cam Lewis had two arms on it. So Cam Lewis trying to catch it, kept it within the vicinity of Justin Jefferson long enough for him to be able to somehow miraculously pull it down, where if he just knocks it down, the game's over easy to say I could not cover Justin Jefferson in that scenario. Everybody understands that, but tough lesson to learn. But amazingly, Luca, that is not the play that I'm going to lose sleep on. Despite the fact that Von Miller, the closer had the sack on the play before that to set up fourth and 18. And it just felt like at that point going into the commercial break of the two minute warning that this was going to be where the bills win it. 
I thought the Bills had escaped what looked like a ferocious Vikings comeback when they stopped Kirk Cousins on the goal line, on the quarterback sneak. Even when they stopped him, I'm thinking, oh man, the replay is going to show that he got in. And then the replay comes out and he didn't get in. And the Bills take the ball over and literally all they have to do is run out the clock. And that is oversimplifying it because they are on the one inch line. And if you get tackled in the end zone, it's a safety. But Luca, I'm going to lose sleep on the fact that there wasn't even the opportunity to tackle the Bills in the end zone on that play. And at least if it's a safety, which I saw people on Twitter saying, you should have taken the safety. And that is just mind boggling that if you're up by four, why would you want to go up by two and then give them the ball back so they can beat you with a field goal? Just try to execute getting one inch and you're going to win the game. But Mitch Morse snaps it to Josh Allen. The TV telecast tried to blame Mitch Morse on that. It looked like Josh Allen had his hands on it and just bobbled the ball. He fumbles the ball. Eric Kendricks of the Vikings falls on it in the end zone. It's like something out of a movie. And all of a sudden, it looks like the Vikings are going to just win miraculously. And I know the Bills went down and had a great drive at the end of the ha- at the end of the game there to get it to overtime. And then there was a lot that went on in overtime. But that one sequence there, Luca, everything we're talking about here, everything that went wrong, the bad interception, be- you know, the overtime interception wouldn't even happen. Everything can be erased. And we're all feeling good tonight. If Mitch Morse and Josh Allen, two of the best players on this entire offense, can execute a quarterback center exchange. Yeah, to uh, to the point you pointed out there, it was that's not a Mitch Morse to me either. That it almost it's like uh, Josh Allen got excited. It seemed like his left hand, I believe it is. I'm trying to remember this. It seemed like his left hand just like closed in excitement. I'll call it just so anxious to get the ball in his hands to then just drive forward that he closed up his hands too quick. That's what it seemed like. Maybe it's coming loose a little bit. Maybe it's not as clean on Mitch Morris's palm that we don't see to the naked eye. Who knows? But if I'm not seeing that, then I don't know how the commentators can all of a sudden make that assessment because they're looking at the same thing I am. But that's neither here or there. Yeah, it's. It's crazy that a QB center exchange like that basically put us in a position that then we had to drive the length of the field to get in a field goal position and try to even get this in overtime after, as you pointed out, right before that, it seemed like the game was sealed. We finally had a little bit of luck come our way in this game that seemed like it was starting to get away from us thanks to Shaq Lawson and the interior push also just by the way, like shout out the interior defensive line in that moment in time. Like you, when there's one time you need to win that battle and you should have won that battle, you did. And it felt good. It was like, okay, just please don't have any cataclysmic collapse in this moment in time. And sadly, the very next play that happened. And as you also said, so for anyone also in there, QB center exchange happens at the 44 second mark. It's probably going to take three seconds off the clock. They're going to call a timeout. They had one timeout in the holster. We would have to probably snap the ball another time on top of that. Lord knows what would happen again because you got to snap it one more time and maybe you got a yard, maybe, because you're just trying to drive Josh Allen as far forward as you can and they know exactly what's coming. So I'm not sitting here assuming we're going to get enough to get a comfortable kneel down, of course. But yeah, it's... Those are two plays. And there's other ones that in this point that we're talking about here, there are other plays that can come to mind. You know, I could be laying in bed later and just instantly something else completely is going to come to mind because 
as I've, I'm going to, this is going to be the theme of the episode, Josh. There were just so many times that we lost this game. Like so many times. Like I, 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 is it three, four, five times that when the game seemed over, I mean, even at one point to your point, when you brought up what I was talking about, Von Miller gets his third and long sack and the bills official Twitter account sent out sack, you know, ball game, whatever it was. It was like fourth and long ball game. They called the win before the game was officially over. You can't do that. Bill social media. You cannot do that. Not blame, I'm not going to sit here and blame the Bills social media people. Like, look, I, I am a superstitious person. That's not what lost the game. Um, but uh, just brutal. Just an absolute brutal situation where there are so many plays that we will lose a lot of sleep over, Josh. I guarantee it. Yeah, and I'm going to kind of rapid fire through them uh, whenever it's time to hand out game balls because there's a lot of guys in this game that could have earned my game ball, but there was at least one play by them that is going to cost them that scenario. But I want to have one more larger conversation with you before we get some fan reaction on some tweets that we got after the game. And it's about the defense. And I think this was a game that you and I both thought the Bills would have a significant advantage on the defensive line. We fully understand that there was no Jordan Poyer. There was no Tredavious White. There was no Kyir Elam. Gregory Rousseau was out. Tremaine Edmonds only played a half, and then his groin injury cost him the rest of the second half. So there's a lot of guys missing right now. I understand all that. But my question to you, Luca, is putting all of the, the mistakes, the offense, to the side. It seemed like today there was a chance for this defense to step up and be elite. And I know they had their moments. The fourth and one stop, that was great. Uh, but it feels like right now it's just hard to really look at them through the lens of an elite defense because there's just enough there where it's not hard enough on the opposing offense. And when a team's down 27 to 10, yeah, offensive mistakes, I get it. Uh, but the defense certainly had their hand in that too. Yeah, the the defense, look, this is a defense that going into the game, you brought it up even at one point this episode where the Vikings don't necessarily seem like a team that, you know, I'm not calling them a bad team, but also their offense isn't explosive, dynamic, a top five offense, right? They do have Justin Jefferson. Again, let me just reiterate one one more time for the millionth time. I believe him to be the best receiver in the league. He is elite. Beyond that, it's similar to the Bills where there's definitely a step down to all the other weapons available. And if this were to be that elite defense we think it to be, I would have liked them to contain them in a better fashion, especially when this is kind of where I want to go, especially when I almost said when weird, uh, especially when the game seems almost in a point where they have to throw it. They have to be one, you know, one dimensional. They can't lean on the run and stuff. They can, they don't have to get completely away from their game plan. It's 27-10 at one point. They can still give it to Delvin. And then, of course, Delvin breaks that big run that we know in the third quarter. But it still seemed like the game was somewhat out of reach for them. We were hopefully going to have a long drive, which, by the way, even though it led to an interception, it was still a long, significant drive that they were going to have to become one-dimensional. And... This team is built for the dimension that they would have to become. And I would like to believe, even with those injuries that were there, that they could get the job done and get this over the finish line. 
And yes, they kind of put the Bills in a position to do that. It took that fourth and goal from the one stop to do it. But I feel like that's still not enough in a weird way. Like that, we shouldn't have even been in that position. The defense should have been able to do a better job that we weren't sitting there needing Allen and Morris to have a perfect quarterback center exchange. We aren't sitting here being worried. Are we going to take a safety here? It, hopefully he doesn't fumble the snap, stuff like that. And that's being a little, I feel, overcritical. But at the same time, is it too much for me to ask a top five defense that we believe this to be to not have our team in that position where the back's against the wall and they need to come up with that kind of, I'll call it miracle, I guess. It's not a miracle. Like they, they made a play. But and they should be able to make that play. But this isn't what I want them to be able to do. I want them to bat that ball away from Jefferson earlier and stuff of that nature. I want them to be able to make the offense not feel like they need to be perfect all the time because they are supposed to be elite. And yeah, the discussion about this defense being elite can definitely go away for the time being. Like until they show otherwise, I am not ready to call this defense a top five, seven, eight. 10 even potential defense like this is not an elite defense this is a good defense with a lot of good players on it it's just not clicking on all cylinders this is there's something wrong under the hood with the defense that they're just not able to get consistent play to a level of domination like we would hope they would have been able to going into the year and even kind of saw a little bit early like early in the season when we were having success and we're sitting there at the bye and everything feels great we still kind of were wondering if this defense could elevate themselves, right? Because yes, they held the chiefs to 20 points and that's all fine and dandy, but it was never to a dominant effect. It took a couple flash plays. It took Von Miller being brilliant and stuff like that. It wasn't just from cover to cover, start to finish a dominating performance. And this is the same defense, obviously some injuries aside that, last season was able to put in those performances against not top tier offenses. They were able to just dominate cover to cover and get stuff figured out. They're not able to do that this year. And I don't know what the fix is. I do think when healthy bodies come back that they obviously have more opportunity to get back to a dominant level. But until that time comes and until they're able to show all of us that they can do it, that conversation's over. This, this is not good. This was not a good performance by the defense overall as a unit. I don't want to sound like I'm throwing the defense under the bus. We've already talked about at nauseum the mistakes the offense made in this game. We talked about Allen's mistakes, talked about some coaching mistakes. But the fact is, with a minute 51 left in the third quarter, the Bills had a 27 to 10 lead. The Vikings get the ball, one play, 81 yard touchdown by Dalvin Cook. The next time the Vikings have the ball in the fourth quarter, 13 plays. 66 yard touchdown drive. The next time the Vikings have the ball in the fourth quarter, 12 plays, 60 yards. This is that crazy end of the game scenario where they have the fourth and 18 to Justin Jefferson. Yes, the Bills do get a turnover on downs, which ends up leading to the fumble, but still, one play, 81 yard touchdown, 13 plays, 66 yard touchdown, 12 plays, 60 yards, turnover on downs. Yes. Then the Vikings win the coin toss. Good to see Micah Hyde out there, by the way. They go 12 plays, 46 yards for a field goal. The offense probably carries more blame in this game than the defense, but there were just no stops 
after the Bills got 27 to 10. Even the one stop they had, which was on downs, was on the one-inch line, which set the offense up to fail, which they obviously failed. And the offense has to be able to do the quarterback to center exchange there, center to quarterback exchange there. But the defense, to me, any one of those four drives that we just outlined, if they make a play, we're not talking about any of these mistakes. I was actually, for whatever reason, confident when the Vikings won the coin toss in overtime, Luca, because I thought, okay, we get a Von Miller sack. One other thing I want to talk about, Christian Derisaw, the excellent left tackle of the Vikings, was out in the second half. So we already talked about the two guards for the Vikings being abysmal when it comes to pass protection, and they had a backup left tackle in, and they were still able to drive down consistently on this defense. I really thought the Bills defense was going to come up with a play in overtime. They did hold them to a field goal after the Vikings got within an eyelash of scoring a touchdown in overtime, which just would have ended the game altogether. And I understand a lot of that credit has to go to Justin Jefferson. But Luca, this defense really um, understanding who's been out, understanding all of that. They're just they're not elite. And whether you want to say, well, they're missing a lot of guys. It's it's the middle of November. Some of these guys that we're just are sure going to come back, it'd be nice to see him come back sometime soon. I don't know what's going on with Tredavious White. That might be a better conversation to have on our Friday Night Live show when we're a little bit more distance from this game is, when do we think Tredavious White's going to play? I don't get the sense that Jordan Poyer, even though McDermott keeps calling him day-to-day, is going to be back soon. I, I just really don't. Um, Edmonds with a groin injury leaving today, not great. The Bills have a game next week, and then they have another game four days later on Thanksgiving. So some of these guys, if they're not getting healthy, it's two more games down the drain. The Bills are running out of games. So this idea of and Greg Rousseau is week to week, which means he's probably a long shot to play this week and then a four-day turnaround before Detroit. The Bills are running out of games. And the idea that they're just going to get all these guys back and the defense is going to be elite, at some point, this is the defense we have. And there's no guarantee that nobody else is going to get hurt. So this is what it is. The defense two weeks in a row to me is not the reason the Bills lost, but they had an ability to save the day and they didn't. And that's kind of where I'm at with the defense, Luca. Um, One last question I have for you, because one thing we've talked about, we saw a lot on Twitter was coaching. And maybe that's where I'll just transition to Twitter here, because I think that that'll spark some some good conversation here. So after the game, sometimes, especially after a disappointing loss, we will reach out to our friends on Twitter and say, all right, what was your response to this game? Help us make sense of this game. And I am scrolling down right now to find it. Let's hear it from you, Bills fans. How are you feeling after that loss to the Vikings and Lusa, Lusa, Luca, we got a lot of responses. Our friend Bills VHS, who if you're not following, please follow him. He is great for old Bills content says, just happy this wasn't a playoff game. Luca, can you imagine if this is how the Bills season had ended, if this was a playoff game? No, I don't want to think about that. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, if this was the way that our season as a whole ended and this was it and this is the taste we were left with similar to last season, honestly, this would probably be worse. Like this would be worse than how last season ended. If this was, you know, divisional round, this is how it is. I mean, Let's hey, let's say it the way it is. Since we're playing the Vikings here, let's say this was the biggest game of them all, and it came down to this, and that's how it ended. 
we would probably not be sitting here recording right now because we would be in mental shells, just unable to process anything. And unfortunately for anyone that likes to listen to us on Monday mornings to their drive to work, they would not be getting that the day of, but also they probably wouldn't want to hear it as well. So yeah. Oh no, we, we, we'll be that. here. We'll be, <laughs> we'll if be the Bills here. lose the Super Bowl, We will be here on Monday morning. You we will be crying, but we'll be here for you guys. Promise. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I don't want to think about that at all. All right, let's rapid fire through a few more of these. Our buddy Costa, Matthew Cross, checks in with, I think we just need Trey back to neutralize wide receiver ones as best as possible. It's a bad loss, but Josh Allen will have a chip on his shoulder now. I get what he's saying. I'm I'm still kind of with Luca, where I'm just not really overly confident of what version we're going to see from Tredavious White when he comes back. Um, and then also... The chip on the shoulder thing is a good point, but I think a lot of us were expecting that after the second half of the Green Bay game, like, hey, we won a game and Josh Allen is ticked. And now eight quarters later hasn't been great. But thank you for uh, thank you for checking in there, Costa. We always appreciate you listening. Here's one I want to kick to you, Luca. Uh, Goalie 301 says there is a coaching problem with this team. There is a reason we can't win one score games and always choke in the big moments. I saw a lot of coaching criticism coming out of this game. It, it comes with it when you lose a game like this where you're in control, a comeback happens, it's natural to blame the coaches. Is there a particular issue you have with the coach in this game? You already mentioned the thing about knocking the ball down. We get that, but was there anything strategical? Um, I know you talked a little bit about Dorsey play design. Was there any McDermott decisions that you're questioning? Uh, is there any coaching thing that is um, sticking with you tonight? Um. I, I think it's just it's nothing that I can kind of highlight. There's a there's a lot of play and stuff and just the nature of the game and how they were able to come back and all of that stuff that I would say I kind of partially agree with people questioning the coaching because I do find myself kind of wondering the coaching situation. I am far, far, far away from anyone that's suggesting, you know, fire McDermott and any of that stuff. Let me just flat out bottom line period i am not even close to that world who are you bringing in anyways what i will say is i question or at least wonder about the culture and just the coaching and just things of that nature where we're watching you know number 17 kind of get caught in his own headspace and it doesn't seem like the support is there with play calling and other things that coaches can control a lot of to help get him out of that or whatever they need to do to make him comfortable and then defensively just why does it do why does it seem like in these games that we should be able to finish and should be able to put our foot on their throat and just get it done with by the time the fourth quarter comes around all of a sudden they creep back and you see individuals call us mental midgets and whatnot because at the end of the day, we weren't able to finish off that close game, even though it shouldn't have even been a close game in the first place. This one shouldn't have. If you would have told me at halftime that this was going to be a one score game, I would have called you crazy. That's how confident I felt at the half halfway point of this game. Like I just didn't see that outcome. I didn't see how the Vikings were going to make this a one score game. I was very, very confident. Um, I do point to coaching to that, like players need to make plays and players need to step up and be able to finish whatever the coaching staff is asking them to do. But is this coaching staff just not putting them in a position in some sort of way, whether it's play calling, whether it's just mindset and mentality 
to be able to be killers, to be able to finish games out and just make those close games end with W's because yeah, I'm, I am a person that does find that trends and you know, when, when something becomes a trend and just repeats itself over and over, there is a bigger issue at hand that maybe is it or is not able to be identified. Everything that can be explored to figure out why that is occurring needs to be explored. And coaching is one of those major, you know, major things that should be contributing to both success and failure where what is going on that is creating this environment that we're not able to finish out these games over and over again. It's definitely something that needs to be evaluated. Nickel city says it's on Allen. I mean, come on two red zone picks, two balls that should have never been thrown and were forced. Those are rookie second year mistakes. Games like this should easily be a win. Same old bills. I guess I can't get with you on the same old bills thing. These guys are still um, probably not the Super Bowl favorite at this point, but in that conversation, and that was not the bills of the last two decades, but I understand. I understand your point. Nickel city. It hurts tonight. Um, all right. One last, um, negative one. We'll end on a positive one. Wes Anderson, Wes and eight, three. I never thought a loss would be as sickening as the chief's loss, but this one is right there with it. Wes buddy. I appreciate where you're coming from. Today's loss. Absolutely stunk. The bills have a game next week. And that is why this game is nowhere near as bad as the chief's loss. I know it stinks. I know there's a million reasons why the Bills probably should have won this game and they lost. The beautiful part of this is they are six and three. Everything they want to accomplish this year is still in front of them. Their season did not end today. And with that, I don't even think it can be in the same category as the Chiefs loss. You want to compare it to um, DeAndre Hopkins catching a Hail Mary on the Bills at the end of the game? Fine. You want to compare it to the monsoon Monday night football game against the Patriots? Fine. This can't, unfortunately, compare to a playoff game. So if you're feeling that way, Wes, get some fresh air, and I promise you the pain will go away. Let's end on a positive note, Luca. Kenny Riggleman says, irritated, Bills being careless with the balls. Oh, this isn't a positive one. Oops, we'll go to a positive one, positive one next. Bills being careless with the ball is becoming a trend, and I don't like it. We are right there with you, Kenny. We talked about that um, a little bit earlier. And there was a positive one here and I'm not going to stumble through to try to, I'm not, I'm not going to stumble here there and try to find it. But the the main point was I'd love to get credit to it. Um, but it was essentially, Oh, here we go. Bill's pro learn from it, get healthy, make the play when we need to in the playoffs. So there's a positive spin. I appreciate that, that perspective. And I think that's important perspective, Luca, because football is such a unique sport. You're a hockey fan, Right. Um, I like the NBA. I'm not as emotionally, nearly as emotionally involved in the NBA as I am in the Buffalo bills, but in sports like that, losses can roll off your back a little bit more easily because you have another game in two nights. Uh, there's 80 ish games every year. More teams make the playoffs football. It just feels like every team you, every time your team loses, your world is falling apart and you never know which loss is going to be the one that costs your team a chance to either go to the playoffs or have the playoff seating you want, but it's important to have perspective. This game was an absolute gut punch and there were a lot of gut punches along the way before the final gut punch of Patrick Peterson squeezing the ball at the end to put this game in the win column for the Vikings. But everything the bills set out to accomplish this year is in front of them. It's going to be harder. Now they're no longer the one seed. 
but they can still get where they need to get to, and they can still get to the one seed even. They still have four division games left, so don't worry about them being behind in the division right now. But if this trend continues, Luca, into the next game against Cleveland, I think you can start to sound the panic alarms if the Bills come out of next week without getting a win. Yeah, this is the one that, I mean, gut punch is a great way to say it, of course. Um, this was, you know, when they, I'm going to be sick, when you, you sit there and something happened where you're just like, I'm going to be sick, that feeling in my stomach actually occurred. Like it was, that was, you know, going way back to the beginning of this episode. That was one thing going on where I genuinely felt like my stomach was upset and just couldn't believe what had transpired. It's, it's a gut punch. This was a big gut punch of a game. Yes. This is not the end of the season. Thank goodness. This is not the end of the season, but yeah, this is one that I would hope this team really looks themselves in the mirror. I feel like I kind of said this last week too, but I really hope they look themselves in the mirror and understand what just transpired and what they have in front of them. Because yeah, if they come out and have another dud of a performance in any capacity next week, and then they have that short turnaround week going into Detroit on the national stage as the first game on Thanksgiving day. And we have to sit there being worried that potentially the season goal of making the postseason is kind of on the line for that Thanksgiving game. That is not going to be a great feeling, even against the Lions, where we should absolutely be able to take care of that game with ease. It's hard to think that when you have the string of games go on as they would if we were to unfortunately have another loss transpire next week. This is one of those ones that we really need to try to propel ourselves and get things back on the right track. As you know, hockey was a great you know thing you just brought up there. There are 82 games. It's funny. The same thing kind of happens in hockey. It's just, it's a much slower bleed at times where the highs seem like they build and build slower, but it gets to a point, even though it's, you know, there's 82 games and you're sitting there 12 games in, you're like, oh my goodness, this team is just finally what it could maybe be. And then all of a sudden four consecutive losses later, you're like, is this season getting away from us? Are we about to go on like a, a 10 losing streak and all of a sudden be backs against the wall? If you have a 10 game losing streak in the NFL, your season is, it's been over for five games. Luckily, hopefully we don't have to go into anywhere close to that, but it's just, it's the same thing where hopefully this second consecutive, I almost thought we were like four straight after there, th thinking about hockey for a second. After back-to-back -back losses, you just need to regroup, reevaluate. The season's not over. The goal is not over. What we try to go out and achieve season after season after season is still there for the taking. It's just hard to stomach right now because that punch to our gut was so massive. What just happened here against the Vikings? The Bills have a game coming up against the Cleveland Browns, and then the week after that, they play the Detroit Lions. I am of the opinion that the, the six and three Bills absolutely positively have to be eight and three after the next two games. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. You have the Cleveland Browns playing with a backup quarterback, albeit a high end backup in Jacoby Brissett. And then you have the Detroit Lions, who are a perennial loser and they are a laughing stock in this league. And a team with Super Bowl aspirations cannot go out there and lose to them. So, I think we all should be feeling better here in about 11 days, hopefully. And if the Bills let us down, then we'll have another tough conversation. But 
Luca, this is going to be awkward because we do this every week and we have to do it this week and it's going to be tough to come up with, but we're going to do our segment of game balls and game checks for the Vikings 33 to 30 victory over our Buffalo Bills today in overtime. The way this works is we hand out a game ball to a player on the Bills that we think had a went above and beyond and uh, was like the MVP of the game. And then as far as game checks go, it's a player that we demand he pay back his game salary today because he did not earn it. Luca, in this chaotic 33 to 30 loss today to the Minnesota Vikings, which Buffalo Bills player gets your game ball? It's tough because, I mean, chaotic. Just we'll say it one more time. There was a lot, and you mentioned it earlier in this podcast, that there were some players that seemed to have good days. And it just, if it weren't for one play, they definitely would be in this, you know, unquestionably in this game ball category. But there were a lot of players in that for a reason. And unfortunately, the result that we just watched happen was because of all of those different collective plays. Um, but I, I think the individual I'm going to say here still deserves it overall because he had a great game outside of just one really unfortunate, slightly boneheaded play that just, it made it tougher for me to give it to him, but he was a preseason crush of mine, a training camp crush of mine. And overall, as an entire context of the game, I thought he did a good job, a great job at most times um, and Christian Benford deserves a nomination here. He deserves a game ball here. He had, you know, a collective seven total tackle involvements also had a interception and a pass breakup as well, where he outstretched his broken hand with still wrap on it and made a beautiful breakup of the ball to, you know, do his job essentially through a broken hand. Um, if he just doesn't get that defensive pass interference, which was absolutely 1000% deserving to be flagged. And it just, it had me in my living room, just going, no, please God, for the love of God, he didn't just do that. Like it was just one of those blip moments where you're like, I can't believe a guy who's having a great day just made a stupid play like that. And it was just unfortunate for him because if it wasn't for that little blemish, the result would maybe be different, maybe, but he would have had a great day overall. So yeah, Christian Benford's the guy I'm going to give my game ball to. That's a good call. I, I think he played really well considering what they were down at cornerback today. I promised I was going to go rapid fire on some of these guys who I think would have deserved a game ball if not for one bad play. And that's what I'm going to do right now. Uh, first of all, Josh Allen, who we are going to have a Josh Allen conversation about the injury, how all that was handled here. After we're done with game balls and game checks, Josh Allen, 330 yards passing, 84 yards rushing, um, one touchdown, kept extending plays, but it's hard to give somebody a game ball when you have three turnovers in the game, two interceptions and one fumble. Devin Singletary had two touchdowns on the game, looked absolutely phenomenal in the first half, but his first half came also with a fumble. Stefan Diggs. 12 receptions for 128 yards against his former team, absolutely deserving of a game ball. But at the end of the game on a third and 15, Josh Allen hits him right in the hands. And if he catches the ball, the bills can milk out the clock for the most part. There still would need to be another first down or two along the way, but they would have been in great position to win the game. And Diggs does not get that done. Gabe Davis with another drop today, but he did have six for 93 and a touchdown. 
Can't give him the game ball for that. And then going to the defense, you mentioned Christian Benford. I love his game. There was a sequence there where he had the stop on third down and fourth down to first force a turnover on downs. He uh, had an interception in the game. You mentioned his pass interference. Christian Benford was the guy who was right there to tackle Dalvin Cook on his long touchdown run, and he just absolutely whiffed, and the rest of the defense was left out to dry by that, so he can't get it. Cam Lewis, starting his first game in the NFL, played, I think, very well. Huge upgrade over Jaquan Johnson, but fourth and 18 is going to be on his resume. And then Von Miller. Von Miller with the sack that we thought was going to seal the game and give the Bills a chance to win. But again, Christian Darrisaw missed the entire second half, and we outlined all of those long drives the Vikings went on. That sack by Von Miller was fantastic, but I expect more when the Vikings, who have a bad interior offensive line, are now down to a backup offensive lineman at tackle. Uh, and just, you know, it's hard to give him the game ball there. So what I'm going to do, Luca, is I'm going to kind of play it safe. There was a big injury today to Gregory Rousseau. We weren't sure how, how that was going to go as far as how the Bills were going to be able to handle it. Was it going to be Boogie Basham? Was it going to be Shaq Lawson? Ended up being A.J. Epinesa. He had a very strong day. He had three tackles. He had a sack on the day. He had a, um, he had a forced fumble on the day. And then he also had a tipped ball where Kirk Cousins threw it and he knocked it down. Strong performance by A.J. Epinesa. Still not sure where he's at in his career arc at this point, but on a day when the Bills desperately needed a defensive end to step up in Russo's absence, A.J. Epinesa filled that void today. So with that, he's going to get my game ball. All right, game check time, Luca. Which Buffalo Bills player needs to hand over his game check for his performance today against the Vikings? So... Of course, there's plenty of players that you could probably throw in this, probably even some that you just mentioned that you could also say had a good day, but then came up with a crucial problem in the game that ultimately did not allow us to finish the deal. I'm not going to name a player. Um, we just had a conversation before this about coaching, and the thing that my head just keeps coming back to is the two plays that we last saw in this game and I just questioned the first play. Look, Knox one on one seemed like a good look. It was a great defensive play by that defender. Great defensive play. Yes. Like there is. I am not going to hate Knox for dropping that anything. Great, great defensive play. The second one that then ultimately leads to the Patrick Peterson game ceiling interception. We have talked about it a bunch of times already. I don't understand that play call. I don't understand why that's the play call there on second and 10 with still over a minute left in the game at this point. I believe they still have a, a timeout in their pocket. Even time is not a problem here when you're at the 20, right? You can do essentially anything you want. You can be productive and get down the field further. Why are we taking end zone shots and just do calling a play that essentially is only end zone shots at that point in time so yeah i feel like ken dorsey really deserves to be in this spot for me i'm i'm unimpressed now this is now three weeks in a row that it's not even that it's something where i just can't believe this game here that three weeks in a row he have he has only had three points scored in the second half of a game it just makes no sense like this is not an offense that should be scoring three points in the second half, three consecutive games. 
I can I can give credit to the defenses we're playing against. I don't think the Vikings are overall a crazy good defense, right? But it's not like they're bad. The Jets, they're not a bad defense, and neither are the Packers. But this offense should be able to get more points on the board. I don't get why that's the case. And fingers have to be pointed at Dorsey at this point. Like, it's questionable. It's very, very questionable on what we are doing here offensively, game plan-wise in the second half, where defenses are able to lock us down and create these problems. There has to be something going on there. So, yeah, Ken Dorsey, welcome to the Zach Moss Memorial Award from me, and please give me your game check. So this is tricky. Part of me wants to give it to Allen, but I think for the same reason we're hesitant to give him the MVP because I feel like, or the game ball, because every week he could be the game ball. I feel like it's not fair to give him the game check because even though his interceptions and fumbles stand out, would this team have been in the game without him? I don't know. I feel like probably not. And to your point, there's just so many guys you could mention, but the guys that had the negative plays, if you want to reverse engineer what I just said, also had splash plays in the game where it just, you can't say, hey, I wish um, I wish Christian Benford didn't come to the game and he can't over his game check. Where would they be without him? Same thing for Cam Lewis. Same thing for Von Miller. Same thing for Stefan Diggs. That would be silly. Devin Singletary even with the fumble. He was the only thing they had. I'm going to go along the same lines as Luca, and I don't think the Bills have a Sean McDermott problem. I think Sean McDermott is a very good head coach, but today I'm going to give my game check to Sean McDermott, and I have several reasons for that. One, when your team blows a 27 to 10 lead at home, coaching has their hands in it. Now, maybe Luca and I watching the TV copy can isolate certain plays that we saw but there's a personality thing there too. There's an emotional thing there too. And coaches have to see things are going against their team and they have to rein them in and get them back focused and reset. That clearly didn't happen today with the game being out of being continued to go in the Vikings favor when the bills had firm control. The other thing I'm going to say about Sean McDermott is the bills had five active running backs today on their roster. That was weird. And what's even weirder about that is outside of Devin Singletary, who led the way rushing, they had seven combined carries between James Cook and Duke Johnson. James Cook did not catch a pass. Duke Johnson did not catch a pass. Naheem Hines caught one. I don't get it. I really don't get it. Duke Johnson looked solid on kick returns. Fine. Naheem Hines looks solid on punt returns. I, I like him a lot there. I, I feel like having five running backs active just didn't make sense. I was hoping there was going to be some grand scheme plan there where the Bills would unleash like, hey, we're going to get Duke Johnson involved. But there was just nothing there. It was still Devin Singletary, but we're mainly just going to pass. And then you talk about second and two, third and two, fourth and two interception. You have five active running backs and don't trust any of them to get you two yards. There's a lot going on with this team right now. I give my game check to McDermott only because right now the spotlight is on him. Team's on a two game losing streak. They went from number one seed in the conference, number one in the AFC East, bell of the ball. Everybody talking about how great the Buffalo Bills are. They beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead. They beat the Ravens in Baltimore. They beat the Rams on Banner Night. And now adversity is right here. This exact moment. Tomorrow, if you're a Bills fan today, if you're listening, don't listen to ESPN. 
they're going to crush the Bills. They're going to crush McDermott. They're going to crush the way they handled the, the Allen injury. They're going to crush the way Allen played. It's going to be all negative Bills stuff. And it's on McDermott to get this thing turned around and get this team where they should be, which is in the playoffs with a good seed. And this team should win the AFC East, and they're not leading the AFC East right now. So because they lost the game, because this team looks like they unraveled, and just because of weird roster construction, McDermott gets my game check. Luca, let's have a final Josh Allen conversation. Look, I know we normally kick it around the league. I'm not in the mood to do that tonight. I don't think anybody listening is in the mood to hear it tonight. All you need to know about around the league is everything that needed to happen on the out-of-town scoreboard didn't happen. Miami won. Chiefs won. So the Bills are now sitting there in the sixth seed. Um, So... I don't think if you're listening to this after a game like today, you really want to hear us talk about how good Justin Fields looked. That's probably not the appetite you have. We're going to respect that. Luca, this week was all about Josh Allen, his elbow injury. There was a point in time this week where it looked like he might not just miss this game. He might miss multiple games. And thankfully, turned out not to be the case. Josh Allen was active today. But even today, Luca, it was weird. He practiced on Friday in a limited capacity, but it's like the Bills were trying to hide the fact that he was practicing. And then today, the Bills come out for warmups before inactives are announced, and it's Case Keenum warming up with the number ones. So it's not until inactives are announced. Now, obviously, Josh Allen wasn't going to be inactive. They only had two quarterbacks available to them. With Matt Barkley not being called up yesterday or Saturday, um, there was no option at that point for Matt Barkley. They had to address Josh Allen. But there was still that thought that maybe Keenum starts and Allen is just an emergency backup. And the Bills just kept being coy with it, even with pregame warmups and Keenum out there. And then it was uh, Kimberly Martin from ESPN that that tweeted that um, she asked some Bills player she didn't name what's going on with Allen. And the player joked back, he's just milking it for, for the suspense right now, trying to keep you all guessing, which is great, I guess. And then finally, Allen comes out with about 30 minutes before kickoff, and he's not wearing a play call sheet on his wrist. Keenum is. And it's like the Bills were just committed to this mind game. And I understand it, but when you lose, it just looks Harry High School-ish. I don't know what happened there. I'm not mad about it. It feels almost like if the Bills would have won, I'd be like, oh, that was super cool. But it feels like the Bills went almost too far to keep this under wraps. And the way the offense started with a, almost with the taking a delay a game when McDermott had to burn a timeout, it looked like they weren't ready to go first drive three and out. I feel like, you know, maybe they could have benefited by having Allen practice a little more this week if they knew he was going to play the whole time. Maybe they didn't want to because of his elbow situation. Maybe they could have benefited by having Allen go out and warm up with the team before the game started. It was just strange. That's just me venting. Luca. The question that people are going to be talking about on First Take tomorrow on ESPN on the national shows is the Bills didn't do right by Josh Allen. And they're doing that based off of what we thought the injury was. The Bills are the only people with access to the injury. I think it's probably hard to sit here and say definitively that Josh Allen has a perfectly clean bill of health and he was at no risk today. I think there's enough experts out there that said he's probably at least at some risk. Where do you fall on the Josh Allen injury situation? Is there something in your mind that says they rushed him back? Or are you giving the team who historically is pretty conservative with injuries, see Trey White, see Jordan Poyer, see Tremaine Edmonds, are you giving them the benefit of the doubt that if there was any risk with Josh Allen, they wouldn't have played him today?
I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. I just want to say it immediately. I don't think this team plays around with it and all of a sudden changes their MO and, and McDermott and Bean all of a sudden go out of character just because it's Josh Allen or whatever is going on and they saw an opportunity to kind of play around with it. I would imagine they did just an insane amount of research, just an insane amount of conversations were had where they believe Josh Allen cannot do anything severe to him that would put long-term, you know, projections in risk. I don't think I don't think they would rush him back. I really don't. If there was any doubt that something could have made this worse, none of this happens. He is not playing this game. You don't change your stripes. You just don't. McDermott wouldn't put him in this predicament if he wasn't absolute certain that there wasn't a major risk or if there was an absolute major risk, I had to think about, I was about to double negative myself there. What I will say is they need to stop this bullshit. Sorry for the cuss. No, they need to stop you. It's that was a joke. Look, it's easy to say that now because you're dealing with a loss today was the final straw. I didn't even care about the result. I was prepared to have this conversation about this today. Because the fact that you have local media, people on the inside, national media, everyone just conflicting reports into the point where their brains are in a breath in a pretzel and they don't know what to tell you. And now everyone just has no idea what's going on. It's a joke. It's schoolyard bullshit. It's nonsense. It's it's horrible to me. That is not having your mind in the right spot. That is not having your team mentally prepared or players mentally prepared for a game because you're too focused on what the outside sees something as. That is not what this team needs. We don't need to deal with that crap. No one needs to deal with that. It's a joke. It looks weak. It looks soft. It looks childish. And we that needs to end. I don't care. If I were McDermott, if I was McDermott, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, none of that, I am putting myself in his shoes. I would look at everything that just happened. I would sit down at a presser tomorrow and be an open book and say literally everything. Tell tell everyone what just transpired. Apologize for what just transpired all week and say that will never happen again. It needs to be an apology because it looked horrible. You are concerned about what the outside is seeing inside, you know, the locker room and what Josh Allen's situation is. Well, guess what? Your concern of the outside looking in now looks at you as a joke for probably how you handled that. I'm not speaking for anyone. I'm, this is just how I feel because I think it was childish and it was a joke that we're not an organization that needs to have something to be relevant anymore. We are relevant because we are one of the best teams in this league or should be one of the best teams in this league. And that just looks soft, just horrible. This is not a media show. We don't need some gimmick to be looked at as, Oh, that's fun gamesmanship. That's probably what they thought it was to being. I have referenced that before. Is this like, that was kind of me being a conspiracy theorist. Is this gamemanship? What is going on here? Ultimately it's a joke. I hated it. I thought it was stupid. Just be transparent. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to reveal everything. I understand what you need to keep close to the vest. It's just when you're trying so hard to go over the top to do it, it looks foolish, especially when it burns you in the end. 
And you sent a tweet out from our account that I think a lot of people are misunderstanding, but this is a great time to bring it up because what you said there to its core is spot on. Everything that transpired this week and then what they ended up doing with Josh Allen showed that they clearly cared about this game and they were trying to get a leg up on the Vikings or something to make sure they weren't ever aware if Allen's status was there or not to play in this game. And after all of this with Allen playing a game that they clearly valued a lot, they lost. That's a massive L for the organization. That is a huge loss. It's a massive fail. And you like McDermott being everyone needs to also look at themselves and realize that and move forward. Never again like this, because I cannot believe what it all happened. And I never want to go through that ever again, because it just makes us look weak and soft. If you want to keep your injuries close to the vest, I respect that. I think there's a reasonable reason that I think there's reasonable thought that Josh Allen missed practice this week because he legitimately didn't know if he was going to play until how he did on Friday. I believe all of that. I don't think this was a situation where Josh Allen could have been practicing, but they sat him out because they were thinking, oh, we're going to get a leg up on the Vikings. So let's just sit Josh Allen for for two days. They're not going to trade two days of practice for Josh Allen um, to, to be able to like hide the fact that Josh Allen is playing. But what happened on Friday with him running off the field when the media comes in at the end of practice, looking like he just got caught with his hand in the cookie jar. And then when Saturday, I think Saturday should have been the day where they commit to it. They did not elevate Matt Barkley. That's the point where Schefter or Rap Sheet or whoever gets fed this story should have been prepared to tweet. Source close to the Bills says Josh Allen is good and prepared to start tomorrow. That's not what happened. What happened is there were a lot of tweets like Josh Allen is okay to play tomorrow. And even leading up till today, Schefter was confused. Schefter was like, Josh Allen's not out there warming up. You were an eight and a half point favorite over this Minnesota Vikings team when this game opened up, when they thought Josh Allen was going to play. You were supposed to be a Super Bowl favorite in this league, and this is your franchise quarterback. And instead of just attacking the opponent head on on game day, celebrating the fact that your franchise quarterback avoided major injury and is not going to be out for the year or for extended time, and he's on the field. Instead, you take a cowardly approach, and you're playing peekaboo with your franchise quarterback. Oh, he's in the locker room. Oh, is he going to play? Oh, Case Keenum is wearing the play call sheet on his arm. It was a disgrace. I I love the Bills. I live and die with their results emotionally like many of you out there. Today was a bad look. Can't happen again. Luka was spot on. This was a, I think they got too cute for their own good, and they look like idiots because they lost the game. Did the Vikings look like at all they weren't prepared for Josh Allen? Two interceptions and a fumble. You can talk about how the Bills had great yardage in the middle, but the Vikings can go scoreboard. Thanks for hiding the fact that your quarterback was going to play all week. We'll take the win. It's annoying. It feels like something that an inferior team would do. This is the Super Bowl favorite Buffalo Bills at home. And they were playing mind games with the fact that Josh Allen wasn't going to play up until about 10 minutes before kickoff. Completely unnecessary, completely bad look. And this was just an all around forgettable day for the Bills. But Luca, I don't want to end angry. So you and I, we both know Bills history. And you look back on certain games like 
unfortunately, like the Hail Murray game, you say that and it's like, oh, Hail Murray game. We know what game we're talking about. We've done this several times before. Five years from now, when you and I go back and talk about this game, how will we describe it? Because you're not going to be like, hey, remember that Vikings game where they had a 27 to 10 lead and then the Bills uh, gave it up and then the Vikings came back? Like, you, you don't do that. It's like Hail Murray game. That's, and you know exactly what you're talking about. Or 13 seconds. What will you say two or three, four words to describe this game? And we'll be like, oh, yeah, that game. Ooh, I just Minute. would probably call it the Viking blunder. I, I had just, Minnesota meltdown in my head. Oh, that's a good one too. Yeah. yeah. Minnesota. I feel like there's actually something historically in this league that is the Minnesota meltdown. I feel like that already yeah. exists. I don't know why I think that I have no reason to think that other than it just sounds too good that it probably happened once before. Yeah. I just look at this as just the Viking blunder or just it's, you know, what's funny is all week we were going into this game and you could see it on social media where that uh, last minute touchdown catch to Sammy Watkins from Kyle Orton was circle making the, you know, making the rounds and everyone was watching it. I've heard from people I know that were watching that game or at least watching that final drive and stuff to get ready for this game. It's like the complete opposite. It's the complete opposite of that game. It just in eight years time, we have gone from that and that joyous last second, unbelievable, can't believe win to this, where how are we sitting here talking about a game where we were up 27-10, we found ways to lose over and over again and did end up losing. Like, how did this happen? So yeah, I two words, Viking blunder, but I, I think you can just talk. Hey, I, I don't even know if there's two words that honestly can genuinely, like, it's almost like you need something that a play does it but I don't think this is just one play in a game kind of deal. This is a, this is a whole picture and just something as simple as Viking blunder is the only thing my brain can come to, to reference this game in five years time. Every time the bills play the Vikings, it feels like it's just a chaotic, memorable game. If you go back to 2002, there was a huge shootout between drew Bledsoe and Dante Culpepper where Mike Hollis doinked a field goal in off the crossbar to send it into overtime and then Peerless Price gets the game-winning touchdown. Fast forward to 2010, Brett Favre, who is an absolute Iron Man in NFL history, gets knocked out of the game by Arthur Motes, and the Bills still get blown off of the field. And then you had the Kyle Orton game where he finds Sammy Watkins at the end of the game that Luca just mentioned, where it felt like, hey, the Bills are here. They're going to make the playoffs. They didn't. Josh Allen's first career win came against the Vikings, where he leaps over Anthony Barr. And then today... The game that the Bills lose 33 to 30 might be the craziest of them all. Every time these two teams meet, it seems like something memorable, wild, wacky happens. Maybe we'll have a rematch later in February. You can only hope. Luca, we survived. I didn't think, I didn't know how we were going to do with this. This was a tough one. Hopefully it was as therapeutic for you guys listening as it is for us to go through it. I feel better about it. But uh, if you're waiting for Luca and I to be back next Monday, you can actually get us a little bit sooner than that because as of this past Friday, Luca and I are the hosts of Built in Buffalo Live every Friday night at 9 p.m. And you can see us on Built in Buffalo Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. We will be there to preview the Cleveland Browns game and talk about any Bills news that transpi transpires this week. We would love it for you to keep it locked into the built-in Buffalo podcast network all week long. 
as we will keep you up to date on all Bills news, injury-related news, get you guys ready for the Browns game coming up next Sunday. And Luca and I will be back on Bills Chat next Monday morning to talk about what happens, hopefully, for the Bills getting back on track, back in the win column against the Cleveland Browns. We'll see you next time.